Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, outreach of Greater Worship Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Robert Enos, along with Chippy the Chipmunk. Oh, my adoring fans. Get ready for a huge dose of reality and a huge dose of common sense. You said it, brother. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back for more of Table Flippers Podcast. And, uh, well, before I get started... If you hear my AC running in the background, on high it's kind of noisy. So you might hear it, but there's a reason why I kicked it on high. Uh, When I walked in here just a little while ago, I have a little weather station thermometer that reads the weather or the uh, temperature outside and then also the temperature on the inside. And on the outside, it said it was 106, 106 degrees Fahrenheit, but it said it was 109 degrees. Fahrenheit on the inside and um, yeah it felt like it we get really hot out here in the high desert and it truly felt like it was 109 degrees so I've had the AC running now for about I don't know 10-15 minutes and now it's down to a very comfortable 100 degrees on the inside and 105 on the outside so even if those numbers aren't entirely 100% true I know they're in the ballpark The Weather Channel said it was going to be 104 here today, and uh, my thermostat on my truck, thermometer on my truck, said it was 104. I step in, and this says it was 106 with 109 in here. So even if it's a couple of degrees off, that still would have put me well over 100 degrees on the inside. So anyways, I'm just saying that so that if you hear the AC or if it sounds like I am sweating in here it's because i am sweating and the ac is on and it's catching up so anyways i i'm so glad that we are here together because it's a good day and what i mean by that is some good things are really happening in the united states i know that our wonderful media that we all know we can trust that we all know is 100 percent accurate and we all know that they have our best interests at heart you do realize i'm I'm being facetious. I can't even say that word. I'm being sarcastic. Um, that's not the truth at all. But I am going to talk about something that well, is being really spun as a big negative in this country. But it's actually something that's tremendously positive. Our Supreme Court did something that it might... You know what? They've been actually doing a lot of things that are really good. It really hasn't been um, spoken about as we, we would like it to be in our media but that's why you know don't trust the media don't even listen to the to your mainstream mainstream media there are some media outlets that you can trust at least a far more than say cnn or msnbc or fox news or any of their affiliates so anyways i want to talk to you about something that um i find fantastic and the supreme court struck down affirmative action uh, as as we have known it. But what's interesting about it is they struck it down primarily in regards to school admission, colleges and universities. And now, of course, it's got everybody freaked out because, well, number one, that was big to liberals. You know, it was really big to liberals because they pretty much control the educational system here in America. And slowly, not fast enough, but slowly that's being stripped from them and taken from their hands. And affirmative actions was one of those things that they held dear to them, even though it was fully unconstitutional. And anybody 
anybody that understood our Constitution and the laws of our land and what makes this nation great, or let me put it this way, what made our nation great, would understand that that was unconstitutional and it was wrong from the get-go. I know we had some issues with racism early on, and uh, they say that was supposed to fix the problem, but affirmative action was nothing more than racism itself. So tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how can you fix racism with more racism? It doesn't even make sense at all on any level. So I am so happy that they struck that down, at least when it comes to you know, admissions to colleges and universities, because that's going to have a lot of effects on everything else. And um, so it's a good day. Now, let me tell you why, for me, I feel it's a good day. Because, you see, I, I've always had this idea that, let's say you call the um, 911. Somebody's breaking in your house. You call 911. And they, they're going to send somebody, you know, a police officer out, sheriff deputy out to help save your life. <clears throat> now, me personally, now, I don't know, maybe I'm just very unique to this or in this, but um, I don't really care if it's a man or woman that's sent out. Don't really care the color of their skin. Don't really care their background, their family background, where they came from. I just want the best. You see, in what affirmative action did was it didn't provide always, always the best. It provided quotas, but not always the best. So imagine again, maybe your house, you know, two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, you smell smoke, you get up, the house is filled with smoke. You realize that your house is on fire and you call 911 and ask them to send the fire department because your house is on fire. Do you want somebody to come save your life or the life of your family who is actually the best and most qualified? Or do you want somebody that just met some percentage, some quota? Well, I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen. I want the best. Now, before anybody thinks for just a, in, at, at any moment or any time that I feel that then, you know, because affirmative action was basically to help level the playing field, so to speak, and get more uh, minorities into either college, university, or into jobs, into employment. And so once you hit a certain level of, of uh, any one group, say white people, then you, you're forced to uh, um, employ people of other races and ethnicities just to meet a quota. Now, let me tell you my little story to, to share, share with you where I'm going with this and why I'm so happy affirmative action is finally getting ripped from our culture. Way back in the late 80s, it was 87, 88, somewhere around there, I um, applied to become an LAPD officer, Los Angeles Police Department. And I did very well on all the tests, all the exams, everything that I had to do. I went to all of the training seminars and classrooms and, and all of those things to become a, a police officer. I made it all the way up to the oral interview. And in, in those days, if you passed the oral interview, then you're looking pretty good. Pretty much you pretty much had the job for the most part. So I get up to the oral interview and they talk to me. They ask me all the questions. I answer it. And uh, at, the, at the end of the interview, it was two uh, sergeants. They sat back and they whispered to one another and they were writing things in their notepads and they were whispering and they had folders actually, not notepads, but folders. They were writing some things and they closed them and they looked at me and they said, Mr. Enos, you would be an excellent candidate for uh, 
Los Angeles Police Department, you have the most points that you possibly can get. And at that point, I asked, well, how could I get uh, more points? I mean, is it, if there's more points out there that I can get, because it was a point system, you got a point for everything, right? Uh, if there's more points that I could possibly get, I would like to work on it and get them. And they said, well, you know, uh, you can get a few more points for military. And I well, I wasn't in the military, so I'd have to go for, what, four, six years, whatever it was at the time. Six years, I believe. And then try again. So that really could have happened, but wasn't going to happen. They said, uh, you could get a few more points if you were a female or a minority. So... Wait a minute. I have the most points I possibly can get. And the only way for me to get more, military, of course, you'd give me more points if I was a female? Well, ladies and gentlemen, isn't that sexism? How, how fair is that? And then on top of that, you tell me I can get more points if I was a minority, if my skin color was a little bit darker? Uh, how is that fair? That's racism, ladies and gentlemen. So I, yes, I was a victim of racism ladies and gentlemen i was a victim of racism some people used to call it reverse racism there's not there's no such thing as reverse racism it's just racism it was the the it was flipped where at one time yes i agree and i admit and i know this this is true that in one time it was more difficult for people of a darker hue to get a job in a you know male dominant um company culture Something of that nature, you know, or in, in this case, maybe the police department. And <clears throat> some people say, well, in our efforts to make it even, well, it wasn't made even as long as somebody that was qualified was being pushed aside. It's never even. Racism is racism, regardless of what race is being targeted. So <clears throat> I was told that, again, I was told straight up, ladies and gentlemen, and this is no lie, this happened. I was told straight up, you will not get this job because you are a white male. That's what I was told, ladies and gentlemen. And I walked away kind of disheartened and frustrated and angry at the whole thing. And I should have fought it. I was, at the time, I was 20 and a half. I remember that because you could um, you could apply at 20 and a half because you had to be 21 to actually be a police officer at that time. So you can start the ball rolling at 20 and a half so that by the time you be, you were sworn in, you would be 21. That's the way it worked. So at 20 and a half, I walked away disillusioned because that was kind of my dream job at the time. And I really wanted to, to uh, be a police officer at that time. So the ending of affirmative action is good for all of us, all of us, all of us Americans, because now the playing field truly is level for all of us. Now we have to go, now when we go apply for a job, or in this case, schools, a college or university, it's based upon the merits of your hard work, not the color of your skin. And that's the way it should have always been. Now granted, if there was a certain um, group, racial group in our country, who that wasn't quite meeting the standard, then instead of keeping other people from pursuing their dreams, we should have helped that group find out what the real problem is and then help that group overcome those problems. That's it. That's what should have been done way back then. Instead, well, we don't like what seems to be racist, so we're going to just flip it and be racist towards another group. Ladies and gentlemen, is this still the United States of America or did we somehow jump into the commie states of America? I don't know when that happened, but it happened. 
And now, slowly, ever so slowly, we are getting back to the United States of America. And um, so, Supreme Court, I thank you. I do want to read this article. I don't, I don't know if I'll read the whole thing, but I'll put the link in the uh, description center section so you can click on it and read it yourself. But the article is out of Newsmax, and it was published yesterday, Thursday, 29th of June, 2023. And the name or the title is Affirmative Action Ruling to Have Chilling Effect on DEI. Now, DEI is the diversity, equity, inclusion training that most Fortune 500 companies are involved in now and many smaller um, companies. This is being pushed in our schools. This is being pushed everywhere. This diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it sounds good when you just read the title, DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's all but that. It's, It's more about racism again. It's like affirmative action on steroids. So I want to read that title again only because I had fun reading it. Affirmative action ruling to have chilling effects on DEI. <laughs> Did that sound ominous? <laughs> I was hoping. I was going for ominous, ladies and gentlemen. So let me read this. It says the Supreme Court ruling to make it unconstitutional for colleges and universities to rely on race as an admissions factor will not have a direct impact on companies' diversity agendas, but will have a chilling effect, Forbes reports. So Forbes, that's Forbes magazine, Forbes, I don't know if there's a corporation, whatever is behind Forbes. They're the ones, somebody in Forbes used that description, chilling effect. I, can you get any more dramatic than that? I mean, come on, Forbes. Just tell, just tell it like it is, but don't give us these silly, dramatic overtures that the chilling effects on DEI. Come on, Forbes. Anyways, let me go on. Striking down affirmative action at institutions of higher learning could also lead to a spat of lawsuits against companies over their hiring and employment practices. Legal and education experts say, nevertheless, companies are expected to continue to pursue their diversity, equity, and inclusion DEI programs, albeit more surreptitious. <laughs> this is such a big word. Why do they use these words? Surreptitiously. <laughs> and under a different name <laughs> and focus. <clears throat> I, I just, the, the question I have for people that make these words that are just so big and, and not just big, but just, I'm going to try to say it again. Surreptitiously. <laughs> who came up with that first? I mean, I don't know. Anyways, who cares? Corporate America, genuinely committed to diversity, will drop the diversity angle and focus instead on the Civil Rights Act of 1964's requirement to not discriminate, says Alvin Tillery, political science professor and director of Northwestern Center for the Study of Diversity and Democracy. Companies not committed to diversity will just stop talking about it, Tillery adds, and that's what I'm looking for. Just stop talking about it. That's what I really loved about what Morgan Freeman, the actor, said when he asked, when he was asked, how do you end racism? And he said, just stop talking about it. Just stop talking about it. And he went on to make a point that he, a black man, was sitting in a room with, with the interviewer who happened to be Jewish, and they were absolutely getting along. They were both, both prosperous, both successful in their careers, one being a Jewish man, another being a black man. Because that's what America is all about. And the only reason that racism 
is alive in America is because we keep talking about it on that level. I, I think we, the only time we should really talk about it is when it rears its ugly head. Like if there is a, if there was a Ku Klux Klan march, then we definitely need to talk about that kind of nonsense. But that's, I'm not going to even say their marches are rare, but they don't do anything anymore. I mean, let's face it. What is the Ku Klux Klan for the most part today? A bunch of overweight, toothless rednecks that have a third grade education wearing sheets, pointy sheets on their head. That's about it. That's about it. As long as you don't keep them from their barbecue, they're not dangerous. They're just mouthy, but that's about it. Anyways, let me read some of this some more. It says, Don Harris, Associate Dean and DEI liaison at Temple University's School of Law, agrees with Tillery that at least at the outset, the Supreme Court's Thursday decision will not affect anything outside of higher learning. However, notes Stacy Hawkins, Vice Dean of Law at Rutgers University, who specializes in employment law and diversity in the ruling, is not narrowly interpreted to apply only to academic admissions practices. It might impact company hiring and diversity. Harris believes, however, the ruling is interpreted by companies, academia, and the courts. It will encourage future litigation. The writing's on the wall, Harris said. It's a recipe for people to then start bringing other cases before the court centered on diversity practices. It will have a chilling effect on diversity in America, the academics agree. Um, I agree it's going to have an effect on academics, uh, or I'm sorry, on diversity. Do you know why? Because now... This is what's going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. These, these so-called academics, you know, they're, they're well-educated, but they're not very smart. And there is sometimes a difference. You can, you can be educated by others. That's a type of brainwashing, and you only spout or parrot what they told you to say. So in that sense, you're very educated. But when it comes down to just common sense and really knowing how things really work, these so-called academics, well, they're not very academic. They're not very smart. They're not very intelligent. They don't often understand how the real world works. So let me, and I think I'm going to be preaching to the choir uh, for the most part, and I think most people would agree that there's not a lot of racism in America. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. I'm not talking about, again, there's some, uh, there, and there always will be. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that? Humanity is in a fallen state, in a sinful fallen state. That means there will always be racism somewhere on some level always okay but as it may have been at certain times in our history absolutely not and as a matter of fact striking down affirmative action is striking down one of those avenues or one of those things that caused more racism so it's a great day in america when racism is being struck down but in real world america when somebody has a help wanted sign in the window of their store their shop their business and they're looking to employ somebody, somebody that they hope will help make them money and their business successful. Um, I'm going to be honest with you that most of the time, most of the time, ladies and gentlemen, the owner or it could be manager doesn't care the color of the skin of the person that walks through those doors. They care about their qualifications. Is that person qualified, qualified for this job? Are they going to help make this business a success? If so, generally speaking, they get the job. Now, I'm not going to say that's 100% across the board, 
because some people do get very prejudiced. They see a certain uh, uh, maybe race walk through that door and it's an automatic no regardless of their qualifications. But then I want to ask you, ladies and gentlemen, put yourself in that situation. Assume for just a moment that you did not get a job simply because of the color of the skin of your skin. Do you really want to work there? Well, they shouldn't be racist. Wait, wait, wait. We can argue that later. Should they be racist? No, they should not be. They should not be racist at all. But do you want to work for that person? It would be a living hell. Because if they were forced to hire you simply because of the color of your skin, you would not be happy. That person would not be happy. You would you would make that place unsuccessful. You would bring it down. You might, well, good, they deserve it. They might, but do you really do you really want to be that person? Or would you rather go somewhere? Where your qualifications, regardless of the color of your skin, but your qualifications are celebrated. Yes, we want you for the job because you are the most qualified. See, that's what I want to hear. I don't ever want to be hired simply because of the color of my skin. I don't. And, I, you know, the people that I know would say the same thing. I don't want to be hired simply because of the color of my skin. That's ridiculous. I want to be hired because of my qualifications and my character, who I am as a person, what I bring to the table. And the color of the skin has so little to do with it. And that's most of America, ladies and gentlemen. Most of America understands that and celebrates that and is good with that. I've been in many businesses around, well, around here, of course, where I live, but all over the United States. And I see people of all colors and all uh, um, races in, in many of these places. The only time I see a business, and this is just my own experience, the only time I see a business that's just all one color, you know, like all one race, is when that is the predominant um, racial group in that area. You know, so if you have, a, a say, a city or a town that's 95%, uh, I don't know, white, Caucasian, well, then you could pretty much guarantee that most businesses, not all the business, but most businesses are going to mirror that, 95% white. It's not because necessarily, please don't misunderstand me, maybe they're fully racist, but just by the demographics, doesn't prove that anybody's racist. So how are they going to fill some type of quota when the town isn't even meeting that quota? You know, and I would say the same thing. There's been times I've been in, say, um, parts of Los Angeles that are predominantly um, black folks. I go into one of their businesses or one of their uh, um, restaurants, and guess what? All black folks. I don't get upset. I don't think that they're racist because there isn't that one token white guy in the back. I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe they keep him in the back, but... (laughs) But I don't get upset at that. Why? Because I understand I'm in a town or a city or in an area that's predominantly um, black folks. And, and that's understandable to me. And, and I appreciate that in, in that regards, that they are not being forced to uh, have some type of quota, you know, uh, to pad the place with a certain amount of of people of other colors um, to meet some quota or they're going to get docked or dinged or put out of business. That's ridiculous, especially in the United States of America. This is still supposed to be the land of the free, ladies and gentlemen. You, as a business owner, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of your racial background, you should be able to hire anybody that you want. Now, if you're going to be so foolish as to hire only people of a certain skin color, then what's going to happen is your business is certainly going to suffer for it because... That isn't, doesn't guarantee you that you have the best quality candidates 
for those jobs or positions. But when you can just be honest and look at the character of the person and the qualifications of the person, it's going to look a lot like America. It's not going to be all one color. That's just the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. So again, back to this affirmative action nonsense. I am so grateful that our Supreme Court is striking this down. And I am so grateful that it's going to have chilling effects on the DEI training. Because I can't stand that DEI training, okay? Anyways, here's another article that I want to read to you. And I'm probably going to read the whole article. Only because this whole DEI thing has really got me bugged. And I want to read this to you because of this article talks about a young lady who's who uh, agrees that the DEI training is, is not working. It just doesn't work. And it's really more for political reasons. And she has something better. So this is out of the New York Post. And this article is actually published January 22nd of 2022. So this is, um, what is that, about a year and a half ago, this article. And what I find amazing is not that I, I just don't have time to keep up on everything. But with as bad as the DEI training is, and it's not working, it's failing everywhere it's tried. Ladies and gentlemen, it's failing everywhere it is tried. So here's a young lady that's come up with an answer, that's come up with an alternative that is actually working. So this is a year and a half ago. So she was already doing this before this was written. So let's assume she's been at this for two years, probably a little bit longer, but let's assume for two years. Why do we still have this garbage DEI training that's racist at its core that actually divides people when we have something that's a healthy alternative? Why are people still giving into the wickedness of division and racism? These major corporations, our schools, our educational system, why are they giving into it, into this racial division, this racism, and this failed um, curriculum when there's something better? I mean, doesn't it seem then that there's something behind it or someone behind it that's for nefarious? I'll use some Forbes words. For nefarious, chilling reasons, we don't know. But there is something behind it, ladies and gentlemen. You don't keep pushing something that has failed over and over and over and over again unless you have an agenda. It's the same reason why so many in this country are they are pushing socialism, Marxism. Marxism, socialism, communism has failed everywhere and every time it's been tried. You don't have to be a history buff to know this, and yet they still push it. Why? Because it's the the agenda of those who want to be at the top of that system. So just keep that in mind. This DEI is all part of a bigger plan. Oh, you're just a conspiracy nut. Yes, I am, but I've been right so far, so I have to go find some new conspiracies. Because all those people that said, oh, you're just being a conspiracy nut. Turned out I was right. Turned out that all of us conspiracy nuts were right. Uh-huh. Maybe we're not the nuts. Uh-huh. Maybe those of you who just blindly follow what Fauci, what, what the government, what Biden, what Kamala Harris, all these knuckleheads are saying, you just blindly follow them. We come along and say, hey, don't. They're lying to you. Oh, you're a conspiracy nut. Well, the nuts were right. So if we're nuts and we're right, what does that make you sheep? Anyways, let me read this. 
The title of this is How a 28-Year-Old is Fighting Against Divisive Anti-Racism Training. And again, this is July 22nd, 2022 from the New York Post. And before, as I read this, before anybody thinks, oh, this person he's reading about is just a racist. Well, this is a young, uh, very attractive black woman that's doing this. So if you want to go that route, you you can, I guess. But this isn't some white person, <laughs> like I like I described earlier. This is a young, attractive, attractive black lady, and she is coming against this so-called DEI training that's been more harm than good. <clears throat> this, the article starts, anti-racism training has assumed corporate America. Nearly all Fortune 500 companies employ some kind of program promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI, which has bloated or which has bloated to a billion dollar industry. Now maybe, ladies and gentlemen, you start understanding why this is being pushed. Somebody's making a lot of money creating a big mess. The only problem Studies show these pro- these programs don't work. DEI curricula can be incredibly divisive, from Coca-Cola training workers to be less white, to schools separating students by race. In mainstream academia, the very idea of whiteness has been demonized as a problem that must be fixed. You know, way back when, the schools were segregated. Drinking fountains were segregated. Bathrooms were segregated. Uh, bus Buses, where you could and could not see, segregated. <clears throat> And everybody thought we were making all this progress by ending that segregation. And now they're segregating things again according to race. Our schools, not all of them, many of them are. Earlier I did an episode of this um, podcast and I pointed out how some of these schools actually had black graduations or LGBT graduations. And then everybody else can go to their own. So now they're segregating again. How is, I I don't understand this. Martin Luther King and people of his era fought to end that nonsense. Now, here it is again, and it's being celebrated. Who is it being celebrated by? The liberal left, Democrats, and people that think like them. Who is the one that segregated everybody before? Democrats. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see the pattern? Okay, let me continue reading because I want to share with you what this young lady has done. Says, but there is another way. Chloe Valdery, a 28-year-old from Brooklyn, is is proving it. Valdery offers a pro-human, non-divisive approach to anti-racist training called the theory of enchantment, which is also catching on with companies and nonprofits across U.S. clients, including TikTok, WeWork, and Second Harvest Food Bank. All have all hired her to train their workers in a kinder, more constructive way. Valdery's piloted six-week curriculum promoting the concept of agape, or wide-open love, draws from a wide range of materials from Angela, uh, I'm sorry, Maya Angelou and James Baldwin to The Lion King and Kendrick Lamar to bring people together rather than pit them apart. And by the way, um, she says that her curriculum promoting the concept of agape Agape is the Greek word for love, but it's the God kind of sacrificial love that God has for us and we are to have for him and for others. It goes on to say, she has done away with unconscious bias training, segregating co-workers by race, and placing blame on abstract systems. Instead, she promotes stoicism and self-love that leads to community love. 
Enchantment is a state of being where you are in a healthy relationship with yourself, which allows you to have a healthy relationship with others. Valdry told me, if we want to teach people how to love, we have to ask what people are already in love with. That's why I use pop culture references to reinforce my teachings. Her teachings promote three core principles. Treat people like human beings instead of political abstractions. Criticize to uplift and empower rather than tear down or destroy. And root everything you do in love and compassion, harking back to the Christian principles of Martin Luther King Jr. In addition to her six-week program, Valdrie also offers self-paced training as well as 90-minute courses that introduce teams to a particular principle or exercise. In her training, Valdrie asks participants to imagine someone in their personal lives who behaves badly and consequently makes them feel superior. Then she asks participants to apply that same dynamic in different contexts. The purpose is to develop a spiritual discipline against the politics of resentment, Valdrie said. So much bigotry and prejudice comes from insecurity. We take what we don't like about ourselves and project that onto others, she said. Instead of doing that, we can get in the right relationship with ourselves, our imperfections. It's an incredibly difficult task, but if we can get right with ourselves first, it will go a long way to bring us together. Valerie's beliefs are rooted in her upbringing. Born and bred in New Orleans, her family attended the Seventh-day Sabbatarian Christian Intercontinental Church of God, which observed mainstream Jewish holidays like Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah rather than Christian ones. The name of her church was quite a mouthful, ladies and gentlemen. She goes on to say, it gave me a kind of insider-outsider relationship to both traditions and an insider-outsider relationship to the world in general, she said. Around the time she earned or she enrolled at the University of New Orleans in 2011, majoring in international studies, anti-Semitism began to tick up in France and around Europe. I was naturally allergic to anti-Semitism because I grew up with so many aspects of Jewish culture around me, Chloe said. So, she started an Israel club on her cam campus in 2012. She also started thinking critically about Israel-Palestinian relationships and the strategies that had failed to quell the conflict. There are all these different philosophies about how to combat uh, conflict and pursue diplomatic measures in geopolitics, but there was no conversation about love. When she graduated in 20,000, I'm sorry, 2015, Valdery <clears throat> became a Bartley Fellow and Tikva Fellow at the Wall Street Journal, where she was partially funded by the Tikva Foundation, which promotes Jewish excellence. There, she developed a thesis on how love can solve conflicts, and her theory of enchantment was born. At first, Valdry created a curriculum for high school students, stringing together social-emotional learning, character development, and interpersonal growth, and started delivering lectures at Harvard, Georgetown, and even TED. At first, things were relatively slow, she said, but then 2020 happened. After the death of George Floyd, Black Lives Matter protests, and panic corporate statements responding to social unrest, Valdry had a revelation. All of a sudden, companies were in search of training that could help them have conversations about race, but DEI programs take an approach that is oftentimes hostile, 
oftentimes lacking in empathy, and oftentimes perpetuating stereotypes about both black and white people alike. Valdery started making podcast appearances and writing pieces about the failures of DEI training, which led to profiles in outlets on both sides of the ideological spectrum, from The Atlantic to Reason Magazine and Megyn Kelly's podcast. This year, she hopes to extend her online courses even further, helping as many people as possible focus on what unites us rather than drives us apart. Concludes Valdry, it's the only thing that can counter racism in the long run. This was written by Ricky Schott uh, and is a student, journalist, activist, and fellow at FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. So I applaud this young lady, uh, Chloe Valdery, for uh, facing this failed DEI training and DEI concept and ideology that's creating greater division, greater racism. And she has some answers. Now, uh, is her answers perfect 100%? Maybe not. But they're a heck of a lot better than what's out there now that's doing more harm than good. More damage and more division is brought by the DEI training than otherwise. And here she at least has some answers that are much more healthy, healthy, because they're centered in, well, as she said, Christian teachings, you know, such as what was brought out by Martin Luther King Jr. You know, the Bible has all the answers. I don't know why people stop looking to the Bible for answers. This humanitarianism that's failing us on every level, we've got to understand we need to put our trust in God and his word not in mankind and our word. Because God is definitely higher. His word is much higher. So it, it, it works. We know that it works. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that God's word sustains and holds up the entire universe, all of creation. So if his word can uphold all of creation, it can certainly bring us the answers we need to racism, division, and all of that. And this young lady is tapping into that. And she's just taking, from what I can understand in this article, taking biblical principles, wrapping them in a package of, of the culture of the day, but still the same principle, teaching them in such a way that brings people to the, to the place of loving themselves and loving one another. And when that can happen, racism automatically dies. Division dies. Not including someone, especially because of their ethnic background, that all dies and it goes away. Why? Because when everything is rooted in love, in true love, in true agape kind of love, it works. So I applaud you again, Chloe Valdery, and the work that you're doing. And I say keep it up, keep doing good work. But the only caution that I'd, I would have is as you pick up steam and your curriculum and your ideas pick up steam, please don't let anybody steal them and twist them and tweak them into something again that doesn't look like your original plan and dream. Don't let them do that. So many things start out with a good idea. They start out really well. Then the, you know, somebody comes in there with their own foolishness, tweaks the whole thing, and then it's a byword. And I believe that's kind of what happened with the DEI training. Somewhere, maybe in its origin, there might have been some truth to it, something good in it. But it got, was gotten a hold of by people that should never have touched it. And now look at it. It's causing more problem uh, than it's fixing. So ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> here's the thing. Just go out there and love people. 
And I mean genuinely love people. I'm not talking about mushy love. If you go around your neighborhood hugging and kissing on people, they're probably going to punch you in the nose, put you in the hospital. But just go around and treat people the way you want to be treated. That's the essence of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it basically sounds to me like Chloe Valdry has tapped into that. Do unto others as you would have them do it. How do you want people to treat you? With dignity, with respect, kindly? Then do the same thing. Bosses, th- put yourself in that employee's shoe. How, how do you want people to treat you in, in the job market world, in the business world? I'm assuming that you want people to treat you according to your qualifications and your character. We'll do the same thing for everybody else, okay? Let's get rid of all this divisiveness, all this nonsense. Let's truly love on one another and, and treat one another the way we want to be treated. Thank you for choosing Table Flippers Podcast. To find our merchandise page, go to gwcclancaster.org. Then find the Table Flippers link, click on it, and it'll take you right there. Until next time, have a fantastic day. Say goodbye, Chippy.